I'm going to talk about King Solomon. That is the character that I chose. And I chose him because I find him to be sort of an enigma. Someone that I don't really understand how in the world someone that had the knowledge that he had, someone that had the wisdom that he had, yet, and somebody that did the great things that he did, yet he ends up being a, uh, I don't know what, I mean, a, a non-believer. And when I was thinking about what I might want to title this lesson, I was thinking about, I don't know who this guy is. I don't understand who this person is or what he's doing or what he was thinking. Now, the McFarlands have twin little girls. I cannot tell them apart. I have never been able to tell them apart. And in fact, their brother cannot tell them apart because when one of them does something to him and he goes to tattle, he points and he says, that girl did that to me. That one, that one did that to me. So when they were little, I used to pick them up. Now, I, I, I grew up, I had a warped childhood, okay? And I'm gonna freely admit, I listened to rock and roll and I still remember some of the songs, okay? And so when I would pick those little girls up, I'd hold them like this, and I'd look at them, and I'd sing, Who are you? Who, 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 who? I really want to know. They never answered me, and I still don't know who they are. So I just call them the sisters. Call them the sisters. So thing one and thing two, yeah, (laughs) because I can't tell them apart. But we're going to talk tonight about Solomon, and here we are in this very, very warm room and I find myself needing to, to tell you up front, we need to cover some history. And the only way that you can understand, we got to walk through a big part of Solomon's life before we can ask the question, what can we learn from Solomon's life? And so I am going to do my level best to make this history lesson interesting for you. I'm going to try very, very hard. And if I had to title this lesson, it'll be Solomon Who are you? Who, 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 who? Okay. Now, a little family history. Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the woman that David saw when he was looking down and had his, uh, her husband killed so that he could claim this woman. Their first child died. And when uh, Solomon went to, or when David went to comfort Bathsheba, they ended up with Solomon. So comfort, you understand. So anyway, they, they, this is the second son of David and Bathsheba. Solomon was specifically selected by God to succeed David as the king of Israel. And that's, if you want to look, it's in 1 Chronicles 22.10. And when he was born and he was named, the Bible specifically says that he was loved of the Lord. And that's recorded in 2 Samuel 12, 24. Now, David did an interesting thing with Solomon that he did not do with his other sons. And that is that he let his mother be more involved in rearing the child than he did the other other 
boys. And, and a lot of uh, commentators that I referred to led, led, led me to believe that perhaps that was why Solomon may have been better suited to be a king, just in the natural sense. He was better suited to be a king than any of his brothers. Now, when King David was 70 years of age, he decided to anoint Solomon as king of Israel. Solomon was 20 years old, all right? And you have to look at the family history. Solomon came from a very, very dysfunctional family, all right? Absalom, which was the oldest son of David, had started a rebellion against his father. Now, there are enough... There's a, one father in this room about my vintage, and, uh, no, you, Chuck. <laughs> and uh, we know a little bit about rebellion in the ranks, right? And some of you, being young men and young women, maybe have some thoughts about or some experience with rebellion with a parent, so I don't think this is a totally, uh, totally unthinkable concept for you, except Absalom tried to take over the kingdom, and ended up dying, okay? Well, the next son in line was Adonijah. And under the normal lines of succession, he should have been the king. He was 30 to 40 years old. He was the next oldest. He should have been the king. And he could see that things were not going his way. So he had a plan. He proclaimed himself king. He held a feast, invited all of his brothers except Solomon, and had it all worked out that when he, they got to the feast, that someone would stand up and salute him as king. This was his plan. We're going to salute him as king. And then some other folks had decided that, okay, and when they do that, we will fall right into line. Now, somehow... The matter came to the notice of King David. And see, Adonijah had learned a little something from Absalom. Absalom got a sword out and started a rebellion. He died. Joab killed him while he was hanging from his hair from a tree. Adonijah thought, well, if I do it this way, it'll look like it's a popular vote as opposed to a military uprising, and then this will go a whole lot better for me except that somehow David found out about it. And when he found out about it, he grabbed Nathan the prophet, Zadok the priest, and immediately put him upon the king's mule. You know, I'm thinking, that's the best they could do for the king, right? Riding the donkey. Well, there you go. Uh, it was a long time ago. So anyway, so they've got him riding on the king's donkey so that everybody would know, hey, Solomon's on the king's donkey. All right. He is going to be king. They anointed him in the name of the Lord. The military salute was given, and the people of the city of Jerusalem shouted their joy with joy. Long live King Solomon. Even Adonijah could figure out that was not a good sign. So he went into hiding, and by King David's direction, King Solomon was brought to the throne and publicly crowned as the king. There was no precedent for this, ever, that a younger son would be named as the king in the place of, of, of his father. Now, just like every good father, I can, I can tell you 
that at every major life event in my boys' lives, I have had something to say to them. Can I get a witness? Yes. When he turned 10 years old, I looked at Brad and I said, I've been hauling you around for a decade. You need to get a job. <laughs> I think it was something like that, right? Something like that. Uh, just the other night, I told him that he needed to get a shave. Yeah, but that's, we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, and when they graduated from college, I had something to say to them about their life. When they got married, I had something to say to them about their life. And David had some words for Solomon when he installed him as king. And that's found in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. So David was talking to his son and saying, look, you need to follow the precepts of God. You need to follow all of the things that Moses said to do. Because the promise to me, the promise to me with respect to this throne and, and with respect to this uh, continued lineage in the throne of Israel is if, if, if you follow and are faithful in God's word. So I'm telling you, son, the only way this is going to work for you is if you follow after God. Now, Solomon was around long enough to see that God kept his promises to David, his father. He saw some stuff in the 20 years of his life, okay? He saw rebellions. He saw his dad reinstalled. He saw, he saw the nation of Israel recombined. He saw all this happen. This happened in his lifetime. So he had that example. Now, Solomon had a prayer. And I want to go through that prayer in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. In Gibeon, the Lord, and, and I need to back up a little bit, Solomon went and was making sacrifices after he had been installed as king and he'd gotten this advice from his dad he decided that he was going to go and sacrifice to God at all of the high places and i mean he went after it with a passion he i mean one of the one of the verses made it sound like he he made like a thousand sacrifices on the top of one of these mountains. But the high places of God, he went through and he was making sacrifices to God. He wanted to get God's attention. He wanted to do the right thing. And, the, and when he was in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to him. And this is 1 Kings 3, 5 through 9. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Now there's an offer. God says, What do you want? What an opportunity. What do you want? The creator of heaven and earth says, 
What do you want? And Solomon said, and this is the part that we all learned in Sunday school, right? And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered, nor counted, nor for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And so you could, you could ask yourself, what could have motivated Solomon at that point to be uh, self-aware enough? to realize that I'm going to be the king here. I can't do this unless somehow God helps me. I need wisdom. I need knowledge. I need discernment. I, I need help from God to be able to do this. And of all the things he could have asked for, he could have asked for peace. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for any number of things. He could have asked to be the greatest king of all time. He could have asked for long life. And instead, he said, just make me wise. Perfect example of, of the servant leader. Just make me wise that I can do something for these people, that I can somehow help this nation. This was God's response in the next verses 10 through 14. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hath asked the life of thine enemies, but hath asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt, now here's the kicker, if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Now, I, I, I want to just go back a little bit. David had talked to Solomon and said, well, let's even go before that. Solomon had watched his father David's life. He had seen God's work and God's promises. His father on his deathbed had looked at him and said, son, here's what you need to do. Here is how you need to order your life. Here is how you need to do things. Follow God. Follow Moses' law. Stay in the word. Follow the precepts of God. Now the Lord talked to him and said, what do you want? He made a wise choice. He was given wisdom. He was promised wisdom beyond anything that anyone had ever had before, that anyone had ever seen. It would never happen again. But God warned him, walk after me like your father David did. Follow my precepts. Follow my precepts. So Solomon entered then into what I referred to as the golden years. He was the builder of the temple in Jerusalem, 
and the first king of Israel to trade commercial goods profitably with other nations. He had a 40-year reign, and he expanded the kingdom until it covered about 50,000 square miles. He went from Egypt to Syria to the borders of Mesopotamia. He organized Israel into 12 districts, but he enlarged and expanded the government. Could have been Obama. And, and, each, and he was, then got supplies coming into him, and they, all this came into the central government because, of course, the central government knows best and knows how to spend our money better than we do. And as the years passed, his court reached a standard of luxury that had never existed in Israel's history. He is remembered as a wise man. Everyone talks about the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. But his Proverbs demonstrate that he did have a very deep knowledge of the natural world. He had a profound knowledge of human nature. And the classic example is when they were holding up the baby and the two women both claimed it as theirs and he was going to cut it in half with a sword so they could each have half. And then, you know, people, the, the, he was able to discern who the real mother was. He had a great concern with the ethics of everyday life. Man, I hope there's one of those for me in there. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Uh, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to be a servant to all. Thank you very much. Well, that's better. I don't think I'll be able to talk longer, but maybe I'll be able to talk louder. Okay. Can you hear me okay? All right? All right, good. All right. So he was concerned with the ethics of everyday life, which is evident in his Proverbs. If you read the book of Proverbs, it's clear that that's what his concern was. He loved wisdom and was always trying to teach it to others. He, during his lifetime, his fame spread as a man of wisdom to surrounding lands, Leaders came to see him from far and wide. The Queen of Sheba came to see him and, was, uh, and had to confess that she had underestimated him when he was able to answer all of her questions with ease. Uh, his first major feat was the construction of the temple in Jerusalem as a place of worship. And it was an enormous task. Even though the plans had been laid out, the materials had been bought, He's the one that coordinated. They had a workforce of 30,000 people just employed in cutting wood in Lebanon, and they project that there were 70,000 workmen that actually helped build that temple. Uh, there was gold, silver, other precious metals that was imported from all over the world. Uh, they had sent uh, Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent architects and craftsmen to assist with the project, and it was completed in seven years. It was famous. That temple was famous, not for its size, but for its intricacy, for its beauty, for how well designed and how built it was. It was a very elaborate workmanship, and that's recorded in 1 Kings chapters 6 and 7. After the temple was completed, Solomon planned an elaborate program of dedication. He invited the leaders of all 12 tribes. He presided over the ceremony. The Ark of the Covenant was the only thing that was not new. They redid every other, every other piece of, of, of furniture that we've read about in the tabernacle plan except for the Ark of the Covenant. This was the original one back from uh, the, the original, it was the original Ark back from Moses' day. 
and they brought that ark and they put it in the room that was designed for it. And the Bible records that the cloud of God's uh, presence filled that room. And, uh, and then Solomon blessed the crowd, recounted the history of the building of the temple, and offered long prayers of dedication. Clearly, Solomon at that point in his life still had a deep devotion for God. That dedication ceremony lasted seven days, and then they observed the Feast of Tabernacles. And then immediately after that dedication, the Lord appeared to Solomon again. Okay, so you've got, I, I hate to keep doing this, but it's important for where we're headed. You've got Solomon watching his father's life and seeing God work in miraculous ways. You had King David telling his son, when David was on his deathbed, listen, son, you've got to follow God. You have God appearing to him and asking him, what do you want? He made a good choice. And God said, I'm going to give you all these things because you asked for the right thing. But listen to me, walk after me like your father David did. And now God is coming to him again. And, 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 and remember now, this happened over the, sport, the space of several years. We've, we've probably covered a couple of decades now of Solomon's reign. And Solomon has seen incredible incredible wealth. He has seen his wisdom be known all around the world. He had a trading empire. We'll talk a little bit about that more in a bit. But God came to him one more time. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass, when Solomon had finished the building of the house to the Lord, and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Here we go again. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart, and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and wilt keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. This is a conditional promise. If then, if you do this, then I will do this. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and his house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, What hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them, therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. So the Lord warned him, don't do, I mean, here's how I interpret it, frankly, don't do what I know you're going to do. I'm warning you. Your dad warned you. I warned you once, and I'm warning you again. Solomon, don't do it. Solomon, just live after my precepts. Solomon, just do the things that you know to do are the right things, that are the right. Just do that, Solomon. 
follow after me, Solomon. Do like your dad said, Solomon. Look at what has happened when you've done that already. You've had a good outcome, Solomon. Just keep doing that. But now we need to talk about Solomon's decline. After he completed the temple, he built a palace complex that took another 13 years. He built many cities to assist the development of his trade empire. To protect his kingdom, he built fortresses and lodgings for his army. Trade with other nations was one of the hallmarks of Solomon's reign, and the international situation was favorable for a strong leader to emerge in Palestine. The traditional centers of strength in Egypt and Syria were at an all-time low. He entered into trade agreements with a number of nations, increasing Israel's wealth and prestige. And even though he had a strong army, he relied upon a system of treaties with his neighbors to keep the peace. Egypt was allied with Israel through the marriage of Solomon to the daughter of Pharaoh. Oh, Solomon, you married an Egyptian. You've got to be kidding me. But he did it for a treaty so he could make more money. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. And his reign brought changes not only to Israel, but also to his own life. Near the end of his life, he lost the ideals of his youth. He became restless and unsatisfied. Restless and unsatisfied. Anybody ever feel that way? Restless and unsatisfied. His greatest sin was his loss of devotion to God. In this, he fell victim to his own trade agreements. By custom, Beautiful women were awarded to the most powerful member of a treaty to seal the covenant. So after you made a deal, if you were the strongest party, and he had this big army and was making all this money, they'd find a beautiful woman and they'd say, here, this is to seal the deal. I've given you a wife. Well, he made a lot of deals. And so he had a lot of wives. The constant influx of wives and concubines in his court led eventually to his downfall. He broke the Mosaic law and violated the warning not to stray from the path of his father David. All of these wives that came from different cultures and different religions made many demands upon him. He allowed them to practice their own religions in his house. They came into Israel. They came into his country. They came into the land that God had given him, a holy place, right? And he let them practice their religions. If you want to influence people, you don't do what they do. You have them do what you do, right? You're not going to influence anybody by bringing them into your house and then say, well, let's do this your way. You know, when people come to my house, they do stuff my way. Because that's my house, right? Solomon got it all wrong. The result was that Jerusalem, and even in the temple, there was the scene of pagan practices and idol worship. That's recorded in 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 13. Solomon's own faith was weakened, and eventually he approved of and even participated in 
these pagan practices. Years before his death, and again, the parallels with our current administration are amazing, they had heavy taxation of the people that brought unrest and rebellion. Surrounding nations began to marshal their forces to free themselves of Israel's tyranny, but the most serious uprising came from within the nation itself. Jeroboam, a young leader who had the support of Egypt, led the 12 tribes out of Israel to the north. When Solomon's son, Rehoboam, ascended the throne after his father had died, Jeroboam returned to lead a civil war against uh, Rehoboam, and the result was a division of Solomon's kingdom into two separate nations, the southern king of just Judah and then the northern king of Israel that was everybody else. I'm about ready to take off on the important part of the lesson now. in here. Let me check. 8.30. All right, I'm doing good. I needed to set this up so you could understand the flow of Solomon's life, where he went wrong, and now I want to think about this. In spite of all the wisdom that he possessed, and this is the part of Solomon that I find the most intriguing and the most tragic at the same time, in spite of his wisdom, in spite of his ability to understand uh, in a way that no other human had been able to understand, in spite of the challenge by his father, in spite of the two personal communications that he had had with God, Solomon violated all, all, of the prohibitions articulated by God for the kings of Israel. He violated all of them. They're laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to read them. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother, which is why we were looking for a birth certificate all that time, is can't have a stranger being our, our president. But anyway, I digress. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. The first prohibition. To the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he multi greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Solomon did every one of the prohibited acts. The man who had understanding above all other kings and above all other men, who had been specifically spoken to by God, he decided, I know better than anybody else. I believe that Solomon had reached a point in his vanity, a point in his life, a point in his thinking, where he was able to say, I know what the rules are, I understand them perfectly, but I have found an angle around them. They do not apply to me. 
I have a superior intellect. They do not apply to me. And he convinced himself of his own lie. He deceived himself. And he led both himself and entire nation to ruin. That was the beginning of the ruin of Israel. I submit to you, they never recovered. The nation of Israel still has not recovered from the sin of Solomon thousands and thousands of years ago. Now, how do we get into the thinking of Solomon? Well, we're going to turn to some passages in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the, pe- the, the sources that I referenced, there's a lot of debate about who wrote Ecclesiastes. I mean, there seems to be a raging debate. I, do not, I did not take the time, nor do I care to take the time at this juncture to get into the debate about it. But if you read the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, it was either written by Solomon or somebody who observed him very carefully. Okay? Would you agree with that, Brother Kilman? I mean, and I, I don't know where you fall on the, the other. Solomon wrote it? Okay, that's good enough for me. All right. And I want to read uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It goes quick. They're short verses. Please bear with me. I know it's hot. If it's, any be- if it's any help to you, I'm very hot myself. But by golly, I made this lesson, and I'm going to teach it. All right, here we go. I communed with mine own heart. I love that. So I said to myself, self? No. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Look how smart I am. There's been nothing like me ever. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth, increaseth sorrow. So, you know, sometimes just studying for study's sake just makes you stupid on a whole other dimension. I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards. I made me orchards and gardens, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold, and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, 
and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. That is the most depressing verse I have ever read in my life. I looked on everything. I'm, so here's a man who had done incredible things, a man who had wisdom bestowed by God, a man who'd had a touch of God, who was appointed by God to be a king, who had accomplished great things through the help of the Lord. And when he looked back on his life, after he had had his downfall, when he looked back on his life, everything he had done, he said, it's vanity. It's nothing. It was nothing. What was his conclusion? We go to the end of, uh, I think it's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. These are his words. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment in every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So where was Solomon in his head at that point? Again, there's a raging debate about whether Solomon had repented and returned to God. Many commentators say, no, that's just not true. As I read this verse, I do not read, I do not sense a repentant heart. I read a guy who is just disgusted with himself who had realized that at the end of the day, all that there was was to serve God. And how curious is it? Aren't these the words of his father, David? Aren't these the words that God said to him? He spent his whole life, after he'd had all these blessings and he had all this stuff happen for him and work for him, he spent his whole balance of his life trying to find a way around what it was that God said he needed to do. He tried to find a way around the teachings of his father. And where did he end up at the end? Just got to serve God. That's all that matters. You got to live for God. That's all that matters. You know, Solomon understood God's word perfectly, but was unable to discipline himself to embrace it. I can't decide who was the more tragic figure. We have studied the Pharisees in some way or the other many times in our studies in the last couple of years. The Pharisees had created their own set of rules that they had laid sort of like layers on top of God's word. And when Jesus came, he shined a light on their deception. But to their credit, to the extent that I can say it's to their credit, they lived what they said you had to live. They did all this stupid stuff. They added all these rules and all these things and all these things. They kept adding on the people and they added on to themselves and all these rituals and all this kind of stuff. But they, they just didn't have God's word right. But they lived what they said you had to live and they held everybody to that standard. Solomon, on the other hand, understood perfectly God's will. He understood God's word. He had an understanding probably superior to anyone that ever existed. And yet he simply failed to embrace it. 
And he spent his life trying to teach people, here is wisdom. Don't look at what I'm doing. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you, here's how you live. I don't know who's worse. I don't know who's more tragic. If I had to compare the Pharisees or if I had to compare Solomon, where he ended up. You know, I'm going to give you a quick little test to see how many of you were paying attention in some of your science classes back in school. How many can tell me, and <laughs> this room should almost give it away, but how many can tell me what the boiling point is of a liquid? I mean, what, what, what does it mean? What is it? I'm sorry, what? No, no, no. I said a liquid, not water. What, what, what does it represent? What's 212 represent? Thank you very much. It's a phase transition, right? It goes from the liquid state to the gaseous state, right? Okay. Now, if you're at sea level, water boils at 212 Fahrenheit, 100 degrees centigrade, right? If you're on a mountaintop, what happens to the boiling point? If you're in the Rocky Mountains, boiling point goes down. Anybody know why? Is anybody paying attention in science class? Okay, the air is thinner, but what happens is the pressure is less. That's pushing down on the liquid, the air pressure is less, and so the molecules of water are freer to disperse. It has a higher vapor pressure. It goes up. Okay, now I'm really headed somewhere with this. I really am. When I was in seventh grade, we learned about these gas laws. I need to stay like this? Is that what you're telling me? I, I, can't, I can't stand this. All right, carry on. So when we were in seventh grade, we were studying these gas laws, okay? And we learned the equation that said, if you lower the pressure, there's a direct relationship between pressure and, and uh, temperature, therefore a direct relationship between the boiling point and the pressure, okay? So as the, the pressure drops, the boiling point drops. And this teacher, I will never forget this because it was just the most cool thing to me when I was in seventh grade, all right? So I've got this 12 or 13-year-old mind, and this captured, just totally captured me. Took a beaker of water, and he put it in this glass uh, vacuum chamber. And he hooked up a very powerful vacuum pump to it, and he started to pull a vacuum. So the vacuum pump's going like that, right? And it's pulling all the air out of this chamber. And by golly, that water started to boil. Just, whoa, just boiling. And we thought, wow, that's really cool. So then he broke the vacuum really quick, and it stopped. And he looked around the room, and he said, now, who's going to put their finger in that water and tell me what the temperature is? Not one guy would go up there. Not one. This one girl went up, walked up, closed her eyes, stuck her finger in, and believe it or not, it was cold because the vaporization caused the temperature to go down. It was cold. Now, why was I in my 12-year-old male macho mind too afraid to stick my finger in that water? Because I didn't embrace what I knew to be true. I knew the equations. I could work the problems. 
I understood how the molecules were working, but I didn't embrace the truth of what I knew. That is exactly the situation that Solomon was in. He knew what the truth was. He knew what he was supposed to do. He refused to embrace the truth and apply it to his life. So what is the story of Solomon? Was it that he was wise? Yes, he was. Was he rich? Yes, he was. Did he do great things? Yes, he did. Did he make a good choice as a 20-year-old to choose wisdom over the other things of life? Absolutely. But what's the real story of Solomon? Solomon is not a great story. Solomon is a tragic story. And how many times in our lives do we find ourselves like Solomon? Not in his wisdom. Not in his wealth but in his inability or his lack of um, uh, courage or just his failure to embrace what he knows is true. You know, when we sit here together and we talk about the things of God, it is easy to say, this is what I believe. But when we are in our day-to-day life, when we're talking to somebody on the job, when we're out there maybe seeing somebody in the grocery store or in other aspects of our life and they start getting into these kinds of things, how many times do we just shy away? How many do we times do we just let folks go on and talk about the things they want to talk about or share their views on the issue, but because I don't want to get into it, even though I understand it, even though we have taught it, and we have discussed it, and we have drilled down to get to the truth of the matter, to really get to the basic facts, how many times is it just easier to not embrace it? We want to be able to say, here's what you need to do, but I can't embrace it for myself. I refuse to embrace it for myself. I have thought of a better way around it. Solomon taught well, but he failed to follow his own That, in my mind, is a severely tragic person. Ultimately, his wise teachings were lost on his family and the nation of Israel. They followed his actions instead of his words. That is my lesson. Thank you very much for bearing with us tonight. Let's all stand. Brother Barkus, would you like to lead us in a word of